eBay Motors is here for the ride. Elbow grease and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Packages by Expedia. You were made to be rechargeable. We were made to package flights, hotels, and hammocks for less. Expedia. Made to travel. The other thing is that America freed the slaves, which meant that there was a willingness to give the white peasants from Europe an economic base. And yet it refused to give its black peasants from Africa who came here involuntarily in chains and had worked free for 244 years any kind of economic base. And so emancipation for the Negro was really freedom to hunger. It was freedom uh, to the winds and rains of heaven. It was freedom without food to eat or land to cultivate, and therefore it was freedom and famine at the same time. And when white Americans tell the Negro to lift himself by his own bootstraps, they don't, oh, they don't look over the legacy of slavery and segregation. I believe we ought to do all we can and seek to lift ourselves by our own bootstraps. But uh, it's a cruel jest to say to a bootless man that he ought to lift himself by his own bootstraps. And many Negroes, by the thousands and millions, have been left bootless. Welcome back to Fraudsters. I'm Cena Gaznavi at Cena Now on all social media. Justin Williams is here as well. Justin, happy Black History Month. May God bless you, sir. Thank you so much. This is very good. It's February. <laughs> What's your Black History Month vibe? I'm always interested what people think of it. Are you like a Morgan Freeman? Like we don't need... A, a month for us or what's your vibe on it no i like black history month it's nice um you know it's it's, it's still necessary uh it's just the thing is after all of our dr umar research i actually wanted to take a break for something black like for a little bit um but you know here we go <laughs> <laughs> well this is the final installment of our race hustler series so i think we've done a pretty good job here so far and I have to say, the love and the hate that we've received has been wonderful, especially all the people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it was pretty best case scenario for being like, we want to tackle David Duke, Dr. Umar Johnson, and a bunch of white ladies that pretended to not be white. It was like a great, for, to, for getting that room together, it was a best case scenario. And it's funny too, because I saw, I think like Scam Got Us and like ScamWow and some other podcasts as well have been doing like Rachel Dolezal and Hilaria. So it's good that like the, you know, the meta narrative in the fraud podcasting space is about this stuff right now. So I think it's a good sign that we're all kind of thinking similarly about it. I think, though, I, I think that is great. But I would say that, you know, Fraudsters probably does the best out of all those. And yeah, it's the one that you should so. be listening to. <laughs> yeah, of course. As always. As always. Yeah. Am I too nice? Should I be shitting on those shows? No. They're nice people. No, we don't shit on anyone's shows. I was just, you know, it's just like Old Dirty Bastard. Like, Puffy is good, but Wu-Tang is the best. Wu-Tang is for the children. <laughs> Amen. 
Amen. Put that on a shirt. Uh, hey, I also want to plug our community number where we have this number that you can text and send us any of your ideas, comments. I will respond directly to you, uh, which is exciting, isn't it? Just talking to me late at night. If <laughs> Some people like to send me like really weird stories. I think it's really fun. I personally love it. I think it's better than using Instagram and trying to be like a content engine all the time, but I realize the world we live in. The number is 412-285-1255. Again, text us. 412-285-1255. Uh, national texting rates and data usage may apply. Call me now for your free reading. <laughs> Make sure I got that out there. Well, today, Justin, we're going to cap this series off with a little history. And oddly enough, you're a professor of history, so I can't wait to hear what you think about all of this. Uh, one that I'm very excited about, and, and man, if you ever thought to yourself, man, it sure feels like the very roots of our financial system are based in fraud, well, we're here to help. Uh, at least when it comes to reconstruction, the opportunity that could have changed the history of black wealth in this country was ripped away. And not by white men in hoods, not by Southern racists, but by Northern bankers. The very bankers and financiers that helped defeat the South in the war. The same bankers that were against slavery. So, let us introduce our historical fraudsters, Henry and Jay Cook. These two are responsible for the loss of nearly half of all black wealth between 1864 and 1874. How did they do this? Well, the old school way, through a bank and using some elements of the affinity fraud. Freedman's Saving and Trust Company was built to help newly freed slaves grow wealth so that they could buy land. And it was advertised to be safe and totally risk-free. And it wasn't just the newly freed that used the bank. Entire regiments of army vets that were black. Black mutual aid societies, black churches, and even some black entrepreneurs placed their money and their trust in Freedman's Bank. Now, in the 10 years that it existed, they accumulated $75 million across more than 75,000 depositors and had over 30 branches throughout the United States and mainly in the South. $75 million in today's dollars is nearly $1.5 billion. Yeah, it's a tremendous, tremendous sum of money. Imagine if that grew, Justin. Imagine if that was growing at just like a very small percentage every year since then. And we'll get into how that money can multiply it and why it's such a problem a little bit later in the show. Before Gordon Gecko though, taught us that greed is good, it was built into the American experience. Individuals, freedom, and freedom to prosper at the expense of others. That was the American way back then. And no one really gave a shit. I mean, what was the point, right? Henry and Jay pillaged the money from this bank to make risky investments in railroad finance that would soon come to a screeching halt in the panic of 1873. A year later, the bank closes, leaving 61,131 depositors without access to over $3 million. That's nearly $70 million today. And what we'll find out is that neither of them got in any fucking trouble. No surprise there. Two things probably at play here, right? You don't have any of the federal reforms that come out of the Great Depression yet, like such as the FDIC. And then also, uh, hey, 
majority of the victims are black. Yeah, there you go. You hit it right on the head. Yeah, really no oversight. And the fact that, you know, even at that time, if you even came out against what the Freedmen's Bank was doing, because there were, were some people that were like, hey, this isn't, this is a little fishy. This doesn't look right. They would be called racist. They would be called uh, going against Lincoln's plan. So, so they even have this kind of this kind of virtue signaling that was happening that froze people from even being able to speak up about it. Yeah, you know, anyone who questions Sean King's lack of transparency in fundraising is actually against civil rights. Did you know that? There we go. There we go. And how lovely that history repeats itself. So, how did the Cook brothers get into a position to control Friedman's Bank? Well, Jay Cook is where we got to start. And this guy literally helped win the fucking Civil War. I'm not making an overstatement here or anything. Remember in Game of Thrones? Did you, ever, you watched Game of Thrones, right, Justin? Oh, yeah. It was real good. Except for like, the last couple watched. of episodes. No, I watched the whole thing. Did you thing. actually? Yeah. You watched it? I watched the whole <laughs> thing. I love it. So sarcastic. No, I love it. Yeah, the last couple of episodes were, gar- were garbage. I didn't really understand. It was like, okay, we got to go. Let's just, let's wrap this thing up here, people. Yeah, yeah. In Game of Thrones, remember the Lannisters were the rich people and they, they had all this money and they were funding this war. Yeah, and they always pay their debts. Exactly. But here's the, who's, who, here's who they didn't pay their debts to. The Iron Bank. And remember there was that one scene where it was just like that smarmy iron banker that was just like talking to the Lannisters to be like, listen, we need to give us that fucking money. We need that money. You don't have a war without our money. The iron bank wants his gold back. Your father never minced words either. But yes, your debts are considerable. And you're now engaged in a conflict on several fronts. We both know how expensive war can be. That is exactly what you need to fund a war. The, Game of Thrones is no different than funding a war in America. You need a bank to help you fund a war, period. And since you need money to fund wars, Jay Cook was actually really good at selling war bonds. So good that he was able to bring in millions upon millions of dollars for the Union Army to help fight the war. Okay, so now what's a war bond, right? A war bond is like any other bond. It's a piece of debt. And let's say I want to build a bridge. My company issues debt that says, hey, I need some money to build this bridge. If you give me $100 in 10 years, I'll pay you back $110. Not an amazing investment, but the idea here is that the bridge is valuable and the company building it is trustworthy. Maybe we get some sort of rating that says like Cena's company is an A rating. And this presumably makes our investment or the investment that someone would make into us a safe investment. Safer definitely than a stock because you are funding a specific thing knowing that you're going to get money back in a guaranteed amount of time. Now, this is different than the war bond that I have with the men that I fought with in Vietnam, such as Trevor, the racist white man from the South who actually has a heart of gold due to the adversity we have, such as Jackson, the hip inner city black man from Detroit, Michigan. Such as Johnson, just an old country black man from Tennessee. Now, did you guys bond over Russian roulette in a uh, underground Vietnamese? Well, we bonded. Yeah, well, I I didn't get along with the white racist uh, very much (laughs) until I was actually wounded and he carried me. And then we cried together. And then we said, 
we learn to love each other over here. Why can't we do it back home? That's that's the realization that we made. Because our race, our race is green here when we're wearing these fatigues. Well, yeah, and we also united in our uh, virulent racism towards the Vietnamese. <laughs> then Bubba said something I won't ever forget. I want to go home. Bubba was my best good friend. Yes, it's, no, this is exactly the same thing as that. No, but a war bond is basically a bond that helps fund a war. And in America, you've probably read... You know, fund Uncle Sam, all these different things that happened back in World War One and World War II. But in the Civil War, it was used to help the Union Army. And in this case, Jay Cook came in and he was selling these things called 520 bonds. Now, what the fuck does this mean? I'm sorry I'm getting specific, but it's really important to know because then you'll understand how much fucking money this guy made. This guy was so good at selling bonds, the government made him the official salesperson of war bonds for the Civil War. So a 520 bond is really straightforward. So let's say the bond cost $100. They pay you 6% a year. So every year you get six bucks back on your $100. But after five years, they can pay you back the $100 that you lent them and you're done. Or they can wait until 20 years to pay you back. So that means let's say the ward gets done quickly and you get your money back faster. Fantastic. Or the government can hold on to that money and say, hey, we got to pay for other things. Uh, we're going to need that money. And they'll pay you back later. This was huge. The government actually sometimes has to hold on to that money because uh, Denzel Washington, who fought in the Union Army, decided to tear up all the paychecks in protest <laughs> of the Massachusetts 54th Regiment not being paid the same as white soldiers. And they were joined by Matthew Broderick, the great general <laughs> Matthew Broderick. I think there's a bust of him in the White House right now. Yeah. So the Secretary of Treasury at that time, this guy, Sam and P. Chase, was actually put into power. He was lobbied for by Jay Cook and his brother Henry. And so that's how Jay Cook was able to be the official salesperson for all these bonds. On top of that, if you're selling a bond, you want to get your share, too. You want to get paid if you're the salesperson. So Cook got a deal where he would make 0.5% on the first 10 million bonds sold and then 0.375% on all of them after. And would you believe his brother, Henry Cook, who was running a newspaper, helped him drum up a nationwide campaign to support these bonds. 2,500 sales agents, thousands of ads went out in all of these papers. And right off the jump, Jay Cook sold $500 million in bonds. At the end of the war, he had raised another $830 million so soldiers could get paid in the final months of the war. Jay Cook made so much money. He made between 5 and $7 million just from selling these bonds at that time. That is over $85 million in today's dollars. So with that money, Jay Cook was able to have his own company, have his own bank. He eventually became uh, the president of First National Bank. And this would be the vehicle in which he would use to help bring down Friedman's Bank. It's funny, on uh, one of the things he said and when he was reflecting on his work for the war Jay Cook was obviously not very self-aware of the thousands and millions that he had made at that time. <laughs> and he said, Like Moses and Washington and Lincoln and Grant, 
I firmly believe God's chosen instrument, especially in the financial work of saving the union, and this condition of things was of God's arrangement. Yeah, man, it wasn't because you fucking installed the Secretary of Treasury with your brother and he gave you a fucking sweetheart deal and you guys all drink the same old fashions and golf at the same fucking country clubs. Nothing has changed in this country. God didn't pick you. Capitalism picked you. That's how it happened. And also, God's chosen instrument is the bass. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so at the end of the war, Justin, the North won. The South supposedly lost. Woo! And, yeah, exactly. But Justin, you're a professor of history. Tell me, what what was life like at the beginning of Reconstruction? And specifically, what was it like for newly freed black slaves? Okay, so Reconstruction is very complicated because it's a perilous time that's also filled with hope for newly freed slaves, right? So you have Andrew Johnson being president who... Uh, is actually a friend of states' rights, and you have immediate efforts in the South to try to stifle black progress, right? You have the 13th Amendment that ends slavery, and immediately coming with that, Southern legislators pass black codes, which are sort of the precursors to what's going to be known as Jim Crow. Radical Republicans win in Congress and oppose Johnson's placating of the South and mandate the passage of the 14th Amendment, which gives freed African Americans equal protection under the law, and the 15th Amendment that guarantees access to voting rights. So what you see is the emergence of a black political class out of majority black districts in the South as the Ku Klux Klan is being created to actually keep African Americans from voting. Two things are happening at once. So all this stuff is happening. Johnson supporting state rights. So the South lost, but they're still holding on to both property rights. They're trying to hold on to their whatever's left of their economic system that they that they were running. Uh what about this whole 40 acres and a mule thing? What, what, how did that, wasn't that supposed to happen at the beginning of Reconstruction? 40 acres and a mule was something that was promised by, I believe it was General Sherman, but it never made its way into formal legislation. But it's the most legendary of sort of the broken promises to freed slaves after the Civil War. What we're also saying here, though, right, is that there were elements within Congress that were trying to create a post-Civil War society, as well as movements within Congress to kind of hold that progress back. Is that fair to say? Yes, absolutely. There's radical Republicans that want to make African-Americans equal citizens and punish the South for its role in seceding against the Union. And then there's uh, more moderate to conservative forces that want to maintain white supremacy in the South at worst. And at best, they want to placate white supremacists as a way to unify the Union. So Congress at that time noticed all of this, right? Uh, you know, members of Congress knew that there was violence happening and there was no real way to create a safe banking experience, a safe, because uh, these guys needed to be part of the economy. If they, equal protection under the law meant we wanted them also to be part of the economy. Remember, it's all about money at the end of the day. And so Lincoln, before Johnson was actually in office, Lincoln uh, helped start the Freedmen's Bank, and he helped Congress create a series of these reforms to help newly freed slaves integrate into the post-Civil War economy. And Congress created this thing called 
Friedman Savings and Trust Company. What's interesting, though, is that they didn't make it a commercial bank. They made it a savings bank because they they thought, oh, surely you can't give these these newly freed people the ability to gamble their money away and, and spend it on speculative investments. Surely you should not do something like that. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting combination. Like this this story shows Lincoln's kind of genesis, right? Uh, because in the run up to the Civil War, Lincoln is actually floating ideas that African Americans can't be assimilated into American society. So he's kind of like throwing out endorsements to like, you know, having black people be repatriated to like Haiti or Liberia. At this point, he's evolved to the point to where he's like, African Americans must remain citizens, but there's still the paternalism that says, uh, they need to be, their, their freedom has to be managed, right? Yeah. And, Listen, there were there were people that were for the Freedman Savings and Trust Company. I mean, it was this bank that was supposed to be a philanthropic institution to help uh, educate uh, newly freed slaves on you know how to be thrifty and all these things. Frederick Douglass is quoted as saying, "The mission of Freedman's Bank is to show our people the road to a share of the wealth and well-being of the world." Well, what could possibly go wrong? I mean, there's so much, right? This was actually the third bank ever created by Congress, and Congress described it as a teaching institution. And you just said it right now. The the paternalism here is just so thick and gross, and it just speaks to how even Northerners that were, you know, for the ending of slavery still really didn't view these newly freed slaves as full citizens or full humans. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's not only you know the end of the Civil War is going to be coming into the era of scientific racism, right? To where you're going to be ranking races of people based on what you perceive their capabilities to be. But then there's also this element of self-interest, right? If Northerners can have paternalistic attitudes towards newly African American slaves, it gives them tremendous power over the financial fa- affairs of the South. Yeah, and, and and this bank was blessed by Lincoln. He said, "This bank is just what the freedmen need," and and. Lincoln was super popular at that time, obviously, right? People loved them some Lincoln. And so think about it. Think about affinity fraud again here. They got a guy who is at the top of the food chain that passed, you know, the the Emancipation Proclamation. Then they had Frederick Douglass, who also gave his stamp of approval on Freedman's Bank, and pamphlets promoting the bank as, quote, Abe Lincoln's gift to the colored people. He gave emancipation and then this savings bank. That is a direct quote. I hate saying, I hate having to say these quotes. Uh, They even had this guy, and this guy will be really important, John Alvord, who was an education specialist. He was also anti-slavery. He was also the superintendent of Freedmen's Bureau Education Department. He led the Freedmen Bank efforts because it was a teaching institution. So they got basically a, a teacher to run the bank. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney Bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details eBay Motors is here for the ride. Elbow grease and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. 
LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, America. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater. And this is your wake-up call. If you don't have Consumer Cellular yet, now is the perfect time to switch and save. For a limited time, new customers can get wireless service for as low as $15 a month for your first year. Yep, the same exact nationwide coverage as the leading carriers for $15 a month for an entire year. What are you waiting for? Call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com and use code RADIO15. See ConsumerCellular.com slash FIRSTYEAR15 for promotional details. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. And he's the guy that didn't see this as paternalism or condescension. He really believed in the mission of the bank. And people love this guy. The depositors really believed in John Alvord. And they even built a whole board of trustees of other philanthropists and other people that were popular within the black community at that time that, that were trusted to be the trustees of this bank. So the ones that were going to make the decisions. Turns out, though, all of these trustees were in it for like the byline and the, and the newspaper headlines. And so none of them actually ever did any work by the end of the day. Uh, so, yeah, it's a classic example of using civil society as a way to facilitate the con, but they're not really involved, right? So it would mean like the heads of like the African Methodist Episcopal Church, who is also your congressman, would have stamped of approval on this bank and had at least a name, some kind of position, right? And the community trusts them, especially if you went to the Freedmen's Bureau and like learned how to read, right? You would trust yeah. this institution, right? Uh, but the, the involvement of your pastor doesn't really go past this rubber stamp. They're not involved in the governance of this thing. Exactly. And so I want to also bring back this idea of why they made it a savings bank instead of a commercial bank. And we talked about it being a teaching institution and all the paternalism that went into that. But the idea there also is that the investments that a savings bank can put money into are supposed to be safe government securities, like government bonds, right? The federal government is always going to pay their debts, even if it takes them years. So that's a safe investment. So you know that if you put your money in a bank, it's going to grow slowly, but it's going to grow safely. The charter of the bank reflected this as well. It said it could only invest in low-risk treasury notes, those are like bonds, and other U.S. securities. But, there's always a but, and I always like to say this, this country was built by lawyers, and it was made so that only lawyers can understand it. And in Section 6 of the bank charter, it said that a third of the deposits could be invested anywhere. <laughs> now, this opens Friedman's Bank to anything, right? A third of all those deposits can be spent and invested in whatever the fuck these people wanted to do. It's pretty funny how the, the paternalism is like, you know, you Negroes, we have to watch your money for you because you can't just be sent wild into the economy. But by the way, with a third of your money, we are going to go wild in the economy. 
<laughs> We've got a weekly craps game that we need to back. <laughs> Fucking A. Yeah, you, when you talk about lawyers, yeah, like, I, I still don't understand America, and I have a PhD. <laughs> Most deaf uh, asked a question that I thought was pretty cool. It's like, how do? why do I need ID to get ID? <laughs> If I had ID, I wouldn't need ID. (laughs) Okay, so I want to also talk about why this matters, that it's a savings bank and not, you know, a commercial bank. And then we just, you know, rattled off a few reasons here. But there's a contextual reason that I think is super important to talk about. The difference here on how black people were segregated, not just politically, but in the economy. And so first, we got to understand how wealth is created in a community by banks. And if you didn't know that banks create wealth, they do. And it's not just by giving their friends, you know, good deals and stuff like that. And the very fundamentals of how it works, they're able to create wealth. And it's called fractional reserve banking. All right, Justin, you ready for this? Yes. Justin, I'm going to buy your house. No. No. (laughs) Well, assume you want to sell me your house. I can't let you do that. You cannot gentrify what? my neighborhood, Cena. Uh, <laughs> Only I can gentrify I, my neighborhood. <laughs> I'm there already, and I have, a, I have a permit to build a vegan ice cream and pizza shop. I'm going to ruin the fuck out of your neighborhood, dude. Look out. So let's say you actually will let me buy your house. And to do that, I go get a loan from the bank. And let's say I buy your house for $100,000. You get this money, and you put it in your bank. Okay, so now you just deposited $100,000 in your bank. That's your money. You can go ask for that at any time. The bank, of course, has to pay you when you demand that money. But you're good. You don't need that money right now. The bank, though, knows that. And what they do is that they have to keep 10% of that on hand. But with the rest of the 90%, they can loan it out and charge interest on a loan to someone else. That 10% is the fractional reserve in fractional reserve banking. So how do they create wealth? So fractional reserve banking is just when a bank holds on to a portion of your deposit and loans out the rest. Easy enough, right? This is where it gets wild. The next thing is called the money multiplier effect. And as of now, I borrowed some money I gave it to you, Justin, for your house. Now you have some money. The bank now lends that out to Hazel, who's going to buy a car, a very fancy car. Let's say this is a $90,000 car because they lent out all $90,000 that was left. That's 90% of the hundred that they got, right? But what just happened? Justin, you didn't lose the money you had, that money is still yours. You can go get that whenever you want. You still own $100,000 because the bank says it has it. But they just loaned out $90,000, which means they created a $90,000 loan. Or another way of saying that is they added $90,000 of money to the world by just filling out some paperwork. So all of a sudden... Just like that, from a little bit of writing on some paper and the trust that we have with banks, instead of there just being $100,000 in existence, there is now $190,000 out there in the money supply able to be spent. 
This is great. This is just this is like Matthew McConaughey's opening monologue from like Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> yeah. It's a wazzle, it's a woozle, it's it's off the charts. It's, it's not yeah. it's it's not tangible. <laughs> but it's so easy for these banks to do that. All they have to do is keep making loans, which creates a deposit somewhere else, which then gets counted as real fucking money. If we continued this example of fractional reserve banking and lending, keeping 10% each time, and did this 10 times, we would have created $900,000 of new money. So now imagine, white banks didn't give home loans to black people. And since the biggest asset that moves around is property, it means that fewer loans get made to black borrowers, which means fewer deposits get created in black bank accounts. So all of a sudden, so again, black people were not just segregated politically, but by having them being forced to being put into this bank where they couldn't use this money in any other way by just letting it sit there and grow meant that they could also not get a loan from a, a financial institution to go buy a home, which then would give them equity and capital and, and, and value. And then another person in their community couldn't do that either. But in white communities, the money multiplier effect kept going. So if more and more people are buying and selling houses or buying and selling cars, the banks are creating more money, that ends up lifting the entire financial status of a community. Does that make sense? This is the like first version of like redlining and its impact yeah. on uh, wealth creation in the United States. So it's even, you know, that's like the more recent example, but you can see this from the very beginning. And it actually gives you a sense of how by the time you get to the end of Reconstruction, when you combine this climate with racial violence is why uh, African-Americans are just going to leave the South by the millions because people have no economic prospects in that system. Instead of owning their own land and owning their own homes, they're going to be forced into things like sharecropping, uh, you know, which is essentially returning to the old order of slavery. This is exactly what ends up happening. This is how this is the motivating factor that pushed black people into sharecropping. And that is what is so insidious about this system that was created at that time. And all black people had at that time was fucking Friedman's Bank. It was so hard for them to get a loan to buy a house that the government, that the people that ran Friedman's Bank knew this. They advertised directly to them and said, if you save your money at Friedman's Bank, you will one day be able to buy a house. Not... Just go to the fucking white banker and get a loan to buy the house. No, you've got to save fucking cash slowly and arduously. And you've got to work for that shit. you got to do all this other shit. Meanwhile, these fucking drunk guys that are just white bankers get a loan and money to whoever they fucking want. Money is getting created in those communities and it is being segregated away from black people. Yeah, you have no you have no access to risk capital, right? It's like it's like yeah. the white plantation owners build their wealth by taking out loans. They have access to risk, right? Black people are considered uh too risky for risk. Yeah. Uh, 
too yeah. risky for, to, for risk. So you don't have yeah. that ability to take chances and create wealth in your communities. So if I'm a white lady in the late 1800s, I can go and get a loan on my house and then I can get a loan on my car and then I'll be like, we'll throw in a loan for, you know, if you want to adopt a pet or something. But then in the Freedmen's Bank, if you're trying to get a loan from them. There's no loans. You, it's only a savings bank. You can only save only your money savings. and they'll promise you some sort of interest from that. Eventually that might lead to a house. That might lead to you accumulating enough money to have a house. Also, you would probably need to have like one of those fake uh, mustaches and act like a man if you want to get a loan. Because I'm <laughs> yeah. not sure how yeah, how easy would, that was. For you couldn't be a single either. woman, no. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> no Maserati for me then. Yeah, no, definitely not. Wow, I'm honestly just trying to understand it. It's I get it though because I have a savings account and then I could also take out a loan, and my savings account has like three hundred dollars in it. And that's grown from $290 from like five years ago. So I can only imagine how frustrating that would be to be told that your only wealth accumulation is going to come from the minimal interest that you're receiving on it. Yeah. Look, I, don't, I quit even using savings accounts because it's actually better to put your money into the market. Yeah. Well, especially right now. Unless you like fuck it off. You know what I mean? Like a really bad... But it's like if you put like if it's like if you if you put your money just into like a high dividend like ETF, it's always going to be way better than just savings. Exactly. All right. So Friedman's Bank is off and running. And despite all the things that we just said, it was actually pretty successful. It was working. Soldiers that had their money in military banks now were able to put them in a savings bank to grow interest. Newly freed slaves, churches, mutual aid societies and entrepreneurs they put their money in and they did it a little at the time. I mean, wage workers were putting a portion of every one of their checks into Freedman's Bank because of all of the positive associations they had with the bank. At the time when you deposited money, you would get like a little passbook basically that like listed your deposits and stuff. And a, a US Senate hearing described this passbook as Freedman's Bank bore on its cover the likeness of President Lincoln. General Grant, also General Howard, and others whom the freedmen had learned to revere as the special benefactors of their race. The flag of the United States was draped over the buildings and designed to assure them that the United States would protect their interest. <laughs> you know that American flag angered uh, some old rebs. With yeah, the bat, exactly. they're like they just, they took that American flag as an act of aggression, you know. But yeah, this feels like some uh, heavy-handed uh, foreshadowing. <laughs> exactly. Ew, me, well, moi, foreshadowing on this show? No, never. Well, enter Henry Cook, the new head trustee of Freedman's Bank in 1867. So again, a few years after it opens, old John Alvord was an educator, not a banker, and Henry was Jay Cook's brother. Of course, you got to trust him. He's Jay Cook's brother. Jay is like the Bezos of his era. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. 
Hello, America. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you don't have Consumer Cellular yet, now is the perfect time to switch and save. For a limited time, new customers can get wireless service for as low as $15 a month for your first year. Yep, the same exact nationwide coverage as the leading carriers for $15 a month for an entire year. What are you waiting for? Call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com and use code RADIO15. See ConsumerCellular.com slash FIRSTYEAR15 for promotional details. Your business was humming, but now you're falling behind. Your teams are buried in manual work, tasks are taking forever to complete, and getting one source of truth is like pulling teeth. If this is you, then you should know these three numbers, 37,000. That's the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One, because your business is one of a kind. Get a customized solution for all your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. With NetSuite, it's everything you need to grow, all in one place. Get your business back to the greatness where it belongs. Learn more at netsuite.com slash podcast 25. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. What could possibly go wrong? Well, when Henry got the fuck in there, a third of the deposits are available to him, and Henry started immediately lending money to Jay Cook and Company and the First National Bank to fund the creation of the Northern Pacific Railway. How did they finance this railway, though? They did it with a bond. Old Jay on the bond game. He's hot with the bonds. So Friedman's bank lent Jay Cook money thinking that it would be definitely paid back, right? A bond. Jay Cook asked for a bond. He said, I'll give you this bond, right? I'll pay you back a certain percentage after a certain number of years right when this railroad gets built. I mean, who's going to think railroads are bad? This is like in the late 90s, we're like the internet. Fucking let's do it, baby. I'm all about it. Who's going to not go on the internet and go to pets.com? Everybody. They're like, they're like, what if I were to tell you, good sir, that I could get you from Springfield, Illinois to Los Angeles, California in a mere 12 days? (laughs) Oh, you do say. Well, sign me up, my good boy. (laughs) But... There was a huge push to build railroads back then. Of, of course, right? Railroads were, were the thing. And they were hot. Everyone was pouring money in it. And when they put money into the railroads, there was a big return. In the short term, money was coming. People were all about it. And so they were like, oh, God, this is fantastic. We need to get more deposits so we can keep using a third of all the deposits to keep funding more railroads. This is cheap fucking money. Fantastic. Fantastic. And in 1868, they even published 
their first monthly newsletter. Now, I tell you, on this show, we've talked about newsletters quite a bit. And I don't know, all these fraudsters love writing their lies down for everyone to remember and see clearly in black and white ink. (laughs) In the monthly, it was called the National Savings Bank. So you could tell they spared no expense on the branding and marketing, which specifically targeted and was advertised to freed men, by the way. Okay. All of it was pointing. They were like Instagram fucking targeted ads on Friedman. And all of the advertisements were around buying land. <laughs> it's just a bunch of pictures of Frederick Douglass standing with like eight hot black chicks like, <laughs> in a field in Mississippi. <laughs> and it's like, you can have it all. You too could be Frederick Douglass. <laughs> and they would say things like, if you were a man who saved, you would quote, would buy your piece of land and become a thriving farmer. They also said things like, let every man strive to become the owner of land, even ever so small a tract even. And one that pissed me off the most, actually. They promised buying land would mean, quote, being your own master and providing for your family. They wrote in this newsletter, quote, there is no speculation and, quote, no risk in this bank. This is like a classic fraudster move. They were completely doing the opposite. They wrote it down, sent it to these black people that were newly freed, really you know, pulled on every emotional and identity string they could possibly pull, took their money, and gambled it away. And here we are yet again. The Cook brothers, positions of authority, leveraging a community, and just... Pillaging their wealth. Pillaging the money of these people. Pillaging the wealth of the most vulnerable group at their most vulnerable movement in the history of the United States. Except, well, maybe Native... Like, the the only parallel to this would be, like, setting up uh, a fraudulent enterprise on, like, Native American reservations. Yeah. That's that's it. There's nothing... You can't get any more gross than that or like uh or or uh japanese people that just lost everything in internment like setting up a bank promising to like restore their property and having it be fraudulent it's like it is the worst thing you could possibly do exactly so as always these guys are greedy and a third of deposits wasn't going to be enough and they needed to keep financing this railroad business right more and more railroads needed it Henry Cook even used the same funds to build a huge building in D.C. for Friedman's Bank that cost $260,000 at the time, which is $4.5 million today. By the way, all of that money that he used to build that building came from the depositors, came from the Friedman Bank funds. So black people built the White House and then also built the Friedman's Bank building after the war. Yeah, fuck. And if you have to keep feeding the beast... Henry and Jay didn't just need more depositors. They needed access to more of the money. So they've already lobbied Congress before. They knew all of these congressmen. I mean, who's going to stop them? Jay Cook is chosen by God. Henry is his brother. John Alvord actually comes out and vouches for them because he actually has no idea what they've been doing with the funds to finance railroad expansion. They just know what they've been reading in the advertisements and what people have been doing as far as giving their money to Freeman's Bank. 
and they get Congress to amend the bank charter, and now it can invest in 1870, not just in treasuries, but stocks, bonds, real estate, anything they fucking wanted to. And just like a quick aside, there was a guy, the former Secretary of War to Lincoln, Simon Cameron, who history has said that this guy is actually wildly corrupt and a huge piece of shit. And he was one of the only people to vote against the revision of the charter because he was a lifelong banker and he knew that this was a fraud. He knew how risky these investments were going to be and he knew that this goes right in the face of what they initially made the bank for. But no one listened to this fucking guy. And even when he brought it up, they shot him down as being someone that's against the freedmen, as being someone that's against Lincoln and all of these things. And it still got passed. It's like it's like when, uh, you know, it's like been like in the last uh, year or two where Dick Cheney has come out and said, I think we need to turn the political temperature down a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> as he's drinking from a, a gallon jug of water. <laughs> Just slowly. <laughs> so now every branch and they had over 30 branches now, every branch of Friedman's Bank could do whatever they fucking wanted with the money. They were lending money everywhere, risky real estate, new construction, and especially railroads. Oh, and if we didn't mention, no one was actually regulating this bank. The bank was made by Congress, but Congress had no tools to actually regulate. They had no system. Banks were regulated by the state, and D.C. wasn't a state. So who was supposed to regulate it? (laughs) Basically no one. (laughs) And it gets worse. They would often use black employees to close deals making people think that they were actually helping Friedman by doing business with the bank. And while virtually all the bank depositors were black, not a single bank manager was black. What do you know? I can't imagine how all of this went wrong. This reminds me of like McDonald's or something like that. You know, when they set up <laughs> in the neighborhood, they try to put on those I'm loving it commercials, but they're really poisoning everybody. Exactly. Big shout out to McDonald's. Please advertise our show. Yeah, we'd like to thank our sponsor, the Big Mac. (laughs) Okay, Justin, as we've always seen in this, there's always something that unravels everything for these fraudsters because they keep going. They get hungry. They think everything's going well. But eventually, you know, you're going to get caught. And sometimes it's not directly. Sometimes it's something that happens kind of far away from you. And in this case, it was a newspaper in 1872 that did an expose on a railroad company called Union Pacific. Now, Union Pacific is a huge railroad company. It actually still exists today. It turns out, at that time, Union Pacific's largest construction company, Credit Mobilier. French bank, right? Yeah, yeah. Turns out, Union Pacific's largest construction company, Credit Mobilier, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but, and had overcharged Union Pacific. And that these costs had actually been passed on to the U.S. government, which means the U.S. tax dollars paid for it. And then the government at some point was like, wait a minute, why are these costs so much? But when the government was like, hey, why are these, why is this costing so much? And Credit Mobilier, instead of giving some rationale or providing documentation or correcting the record, they just bribed the congressman. And several Union Pacific board members were in on it. So when this story goes out, it triggers a stock market crash and a credit freeze 
called The Panic of 1873. This was the Great Depression before there was a Great Depression. Stock market tanks, credit freezes. That means no one's lending money. No one's borrowing money. Railroad building stopped for 12 years after the Panic of 73. So if you had a bond that was supposed to mature, let's say in five years or seven years, because the railroad was going to get built and you were going to get paid from the proceeds of that railroad getting built and you don't have a railroad, then those fucking bonds are worthless. That safe, nice, comfortable bond that you thought was guaranteed to you because everyone was putting their money in railroads and who was going to say that railroads weren't a good investment? just blew up, which meant all the money that they had used from Freedman's Bank to fund that railroad was gone. It's worthless. The Freedman's Bank was not going to get that money back. It's like when you have your Barry Bonds rookie card and you're like, there is no reason why this is going to be worth less because there's no way you could challenge the legitimacy of the home run king. He'll clearly be a Hall of Famer. What's going to happen? Nothing. (laughs) Yeah. So these two guys managed to invest in the first asset bubble in the United States. It was the dot-com bubble of railroads. And these guys are capitalists. They see the writing on the wall, and they're trying to get out of there. The board of trustees as well now realizes that they actually have to do some work. So this is this is price. You're going to love this, people. What did they do? Did they install some new procedures? Do they do anything, uh, you know, really revolutionary? No, they appointed Frederick Douglass to be the bank president in March of 1874. Why not just hand it off to a black guy to clean up the mess? This is the first time in history that this will happen, by the way, that (laughs) uh, when a major institution is in trouble, such as an NFL franchise or later on, the entire United States of America after the financial crash of 2008 decides, hey, we better get a black guy in there to clean all this up. Exactly. And by the way, at least Barack Obama ran for president. Frederick Douglass never asked for it. He didn't say, hey, do you guys need some help? I'm happy to jump in. They just did it. And he was like, all right, fine, fine, I'll help out. He believed in it, though. At this point, he still believes in the bank. So much so that he lends them $10,000 of his own fucking money to put in the bank to cover some of their costs of like fixed expenses and stuff. Remember all the nice stuff He said at the beginning, the mission of Freedman's Bank is to show our people the road to a share of the wealth and well-being of the world. Now he describes Freedman's Bank as full of dead men's bones, rottenness, and corruption. (laughs) Because he left the money and then he's like, wait a minute, something's not right here. I'm seeing where this money's going and this is absolutely fraudulent and this is all full of it. That's the way we should actually describe uh, Dr. Umar's uh, PayPal account. It's full, <laughs> full of dead men's bones, <laughs> rottenness, and full corruption. <laughs> rottenness and corruption. <laughs> so he was able to put into place some policies to stop the bleeding, and he even asked Congress to give them authority to close the bank because Frederick Douglass would later say he could no longer ask his people to deposit their money in it. In June of 1874, Freedman's Bank closed, leaving 61,131 people 
without access to over $3 million in cash. The rest, gone. Nearly half of all black wealth at that time was just vanished. And this would not be the last time this would happen to us. Exactly. Exactly. So just to put a little bit of this in perspective, W.E.B. Du Bois talked about this. According to him, one of the things he said was, quote, not only did Friedman's Bank ruin thousands of colored men, but taught to thousands more a lesson of distrust, which will take them years to unlearn. I don't think that lesson's ever been unlearned, frankly. And it's precisely that distrust of white institutions that creates a place for someone like uh, Dr. Umar to fill the void. And Congress actually did appoint a commission to try to figure out a lot of this stuff. And they tried to figure out what the hell went wrong. And they brought Henry Cook in to testify about the bank's failure. And this is what he said. He said the bank depositors were victims of a widespread, universal, sweeping financial disaster. And we've heard that line before. It's the fucking market. It's not my fault. It's not the fraud I did. It's the market. They were poor victims in a financial crisis. Now, I want to be super clear. A lot of this episode, uh, this uh, you know, we did research uh, on our own from our research. Uh, wonderful Emily Fusco uh, did some work on that. But a lot of our show uh, pulled from The Color of Money, uh, Black Banks and the Racial Wealth Gap by Mersa Baradaran. Uh, she's an amazing uh, author and a bankruptcy lawyer. Um, and if you want to know about how finance works, uh, talk to a bankruptcy attorney. Uh, Elizabeth Warren is one. I think they're some of the smartest people when it comes to finance because bankruptcy is super boring and super detailed. And it gets into the weeds of, of how people experience the financial system from start to finish. And this book really goes, and this, this book, this Friedman's Bank, you know, we're, this is probably an hour long episode or so. This is like six pages of a, of a 200 plus page book. So imagine all the other things that she was able to talk about in this. And, and it really will shake you to your core. Uh, this book to me is, is as important as the new Jim Crow was uh, when I read it and by Michelle Alexander. So uh, make sure you pick it up. Uh, Maris is actually helping the Biden transition team at Treasury. So uh, we wish we could have had her, but we understand that she's super busy. Uh, yeah, this is this is fucked up. I guess the one question I would have for you, Justin, is that this w- is obviously a pattern that occurred time and time again, right? Uh, a vulnerable community, especially the black community, getting lied to by finance and then being segregated from the economy. There is a push to try to get black banks up and running. But as we've talked about with the money multiplier effect, when the money leaves the black bank, it doesn't get back into the black system, really. It doesn't get back into the black economy. What do you see as the future of black wealth in America based on history here? Uh, It's pretty tough because the overall trend of economic inequality and corporate consolidation has made these problems actually worse. There are actually black banks are actually shutting down. So there are less black banks than there were pre-2008. So it's a it's a huge problem. I'd say there's more consciousness 
among black consumers of depositing with black banks or black credit unions, but we'll see. It's just, you know, the the amount of wealth in black communities is so low compared to other ones because of so, so many of these historical phenomenon that we're talking about. Yeah. Well, dude, we just did five episodes on race hustlers. And I think this, I, I'm so proud of these episodes. I, I want to thank you for leading the charge on, on a lot of these. And it's been just, you know, we are not a political show, but, and I think what I've always wanted to do on the show is just draw a line between normal business and fraudsters and actually people that are legitimately lying Bold-faced lying, taking advantage of vulnerable people financially. And fuck, this is this is about as clear-cut of a case as you can get. This guy was heralded as being chosen by God, but in reality, he pillaged the wealth and destroyed the futures of thousands of people. As always, thank you, Emily Fusco, on research. Hazel Bryan, our, our producer. Marie Anderson, our editor. Uh, Marisa Baradaran for writing this book. And all the guests from all of our episodes in this series. Uh, Justin, uh, really great uh, having you as a spirit guide on this series. As always, this is a production of Last Podcast Network and Zero Cool Media. Your business was humming, but now you're falling behind. Your teams are buried in manual work, tasks are taking forever to complete, and getting one source of truth is like pulling teeth. If this is you, then you should know these three numbers. 37,000. That's the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One, because your business is one of a kind. Get a customized solution for all your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. With NetSuite, it's everything you need to grow, all in one place. Get your business back to the greatness where it belongs. Learn more at netsuite.com slash podcast 25. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. (laughs) 